The Woj Pod is presented by Goodyear. Drive always discovers possibilities. Goodyear, more driven. Hey guys, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod, and, and I am excited for this one with Daniel Dale of CNN, the presidential fact checker, uh, one of the must follows in all of journalism right now. You follow him on Twitter. And you see him on CNN uh, fact-checking the president, presidential candidates in real time. Uh, more importantly for many in his audience, he's also the, the father of Breezy, who has become a uh, dog phenomenon on that Twitter handle. Uh, people go to Daniel Dale not only for the fact-checking, but to feel a little better about themselves uh, with the puffy little... Uh, dog that lives down in D.C. with him. And, of course, just a huge, huge Toronto Raptors fan, a native of Canada, you know, someone who has lived through all the all the incarnations of the Raptors franchise to what it is now, which is tied 2-2 with the Celtics heading into a huge Game 5 in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Daniel, how are you? I'm good. That was an amazing intro. Thank you. I'm doing well. How are you doing, Woj? I'm doing. I'm doing great. Probably not as well as you today. I saw. I guess it was after game one on Twitter. Uh, you you were starting to let yourself down as a Raptors fan. We've had a great run. I can't be mad at this team. Like, how dare any of us start to expect more from them? Kawhi left, <laughs> and then you, you were you were giving in a little bit to that, and then. And then OG Ananobi, and then in game four, obviously, um, the Raptors tie the series, and all of a sudden, Raptors fans are, are are starting to dream a little bit again. We're starting to dream. I mean, I, I never gave up the dream. I still had hope, but I, I just get mad when 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 people, I mean, it's Twitter, but when people are, <laughs> are bashing this group of guys, I mean, you know, they won the championship. They weren't expected to give us the amount of fun they've given us this year. It's been an amazingly fun year. Um, so just like, just, just chill out a bit, guys. But now, I mean, now, now it's more than that. You know, now they have suddenly have actual real hope again. It's amazing. The, the evolution of a Raptors fan, Dan, who you grew up, you grew up in Canada. You went to school in Toronto. You worked as a journalist in Toronto before you became the Washington correspondent. Um, uh, in DC, and then obviously went to CNN. But like your Raptors fandom started when, as a young person, it, it started day one. I remember. I think. I think I missed the first the inaugural game, uh, the ninety five ninety six season. But I remember reading the next day in the paper, the Toronto Star paper I worked for, Raptors win, um, and I, I was hooked. I, I played hockey as a kid. I quickly quit hockey, and I'm just like, I just want to play basketball. Um, Year one, the, those inaugural, inaugural Raptors beat the Jordan Bulls <laughs> crazily, <laughs> and uh, they, they almost won at the buzzer. Um, and I, I remember watching that game. Um, you know, it was rough, but Damon Stoudemire was a fun, fun little guy to watch. And then uh, after a few rough years, we got Vince, right? And that was, that was incredible. And I, I tweeted when Vince retired, like, that was the most pure joy I'll ever have watching sports. Like, being 14 years old and getting to go see young Vince Carter you just felt like it was pure magic. It was amazing. You know, those were some of my, in my previous full-time NBA reporting career, 
um, when I was a general columnist for the Bergen Record in New Jersey, the playoff series that I remember that just I said, wow, this is a fun league to cover was the the Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, Butch Carter, <laughs> yeah, Marcus Camby series against the Knicks. Butch Carter, a very long lost of <laughs> Raptors history. Butch had his Butch was a little different, but Butch Carter was a good coach, Dan, and he took that team. He gave that team an identity. Yeah, those those are interesting years. Was that the series where the, the Raptors wore black headbands for some reason related to I forget what it was for. I forget if that was Butch Carter related. But yeah, those those Knicks series were were something. I mean, that was like a tough physical Knicks team with with Sprewell. They had they had LJ. Yep. Uh, the first year the Raptors were they were just overmatched. And then that that next next season, I mean for for a long time the biggest shot in Raptors history was Alvin Williams hitting like a mid-range two to put them up. It, was, it wasn't like a, a go-ahead shot. It was like to go up four or six or something, but to seal that that series against the Knicks in uh, in game five. And I remember exactly where I was when Alvin hit that shot. Yeah, those were, those were fun days. I, I always remember sitting the year that Kyle Lowry had his renaissance in – his career renaissance in Toronto <clears> – <throat> And I remember sitting in the restaurant right next door to Kyle. I was up there doing a piece on Kyle uh, when when he was, um, you know, having that great season. Uh, he and it was it was uh, obviously uh, Messiah taking over. Dwayne Casey was the coach. Demar Derozan, and I remember uh, Kyle Lowry telling me about Alvin Williams saying to him when he first got to Toronto, and I think Alvin. They obviously were both Villanova guys, although Alvin was older, much older. And Alvin Williams said to Kyle Lowry, if you can <clears throat> if you can be the guy who gets it going in Toronto, if you can win here, they're going to love you forever. You will be a star in this place uh, forever. Like, they want to win so badly here. And yeah. that was very much on Kyle Lowry's mind when things really started going well for him. And then there was a lot of talk of, well, Masai was going to break it down and trade him and, and start moving everybody out. Yeah. I mean, the, the Kyle saga in Toronto has been j- just incredible. Like at first I think people, you know, especially the casual fans didn't really pay attention to him. You know, he was competing with Jose Calderon, who's like such a lovable guy, kind of a fan favorite. Um, I, I've had a lot of bad takes on Twitter, <laughs> especially about yeah. politics. But one of my best takes was like early on in the Kyle era, I tweeted something like, Kyle Lowry is the most fun Raptor since Vince Carter. And he was still like, you know, he was like timesharing that spot. And then I, I tweeted something like, like, how is Kyle Lowry like not the most beloved athlete in Toronto? Like, you know, Toronto idolizes these tough, you know, kind of hockey, you know, quote unquote gritty players. Right. And Kyle, you know, he's the epitome of that. I think it took a while for people to, to really appreciate him. And, you know, and, and he, he's probably told you and your colleagues, you know, like it took him a while to grow into this role of leader and, you know, mature as, as this kind of guy. But now he's like, you know, you know, he's going to get a statue and, and he's just incredibly beloved. No, he is. And, and you've seen it in this series. Um, it's just th- there's no one like him in his size and how he plays. And he really is. <laughs> he kind of is like a hockey player, isn't he, Dan? I mean, he's he's the irritant, right? He's the yeah. that's who he is. Yeah, an incredible combination of like you know the the grittiness, but also like he's a genius. I mean, the the way he creates advantages, and I, I see how it's irritating to fans of other teams. You know, like he does he does flail at least a little bit, 
you know, but he's constantly looking for little edges that, that he needs to find because of his size, right? Like, you know, the way he, he demands the ball quickly from the refs on, <laughs> on, 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 on inbounds plays, right. you know, he, he, the way he, I've never seen anyone hunt two for ones the way Kyle Lowry does. Just the, those little things are just awesome to watch. And like to see him grow, you know, I think the, the biggest change for me as a fan, like it, just seeing him smile so much these days after that OG shot, but, but also other times it really seems like not only has he grown, has he matured, but like, last year lifted a burden off him where now he can enjoy life more as a player, even while he's still competing so hard. It's, it's cool. Where were you the other night for the OG shot? Um, <laughs> were you, were you, were you fact? There was no speech to fact check the other night. Was there, you were caught I, in between. I, I forget if I skipped a speech or if I, or if there was not a speech, but I, I was, I was just watching the game. Yeah. I, I promised my, my partner, Kelsey, that, uh, if they lost, I would be less angry than I was after, <laughs> after game two. I would just like, I, I'm a pretty rational fan, I think, but I was, I was grumpy for a while after they, I thought they, they blew game two. So I was like, whatever happens game three, I'm going to be, I'm going to get over it. Um, and so that when Kemba made that pass and, you know, they, they made that layup with a 0.5 left, I was just, I was just quietly like, all right, I guess, I guess we're done. Like I was just, you know, quietly starting the grieving process and uh she can't she can't deal with like raptors heartbreak she's become a big fan so she went to hide in in our bedroom i was sitting on the couch and uh i just started yelling i don't even remember what i yelled and then i was laughing hysterically like just laughing i think laughing harder than i have since mo pete hit this famous (laughs) buzzer beater after michael michael ruffin on the wizards threw the ball up in the air trying to wait trying to waste the call and i I was in the i was in the building for that game in washington as a visiting fan just cackling at these at these poor wizards people but yeah that was like it was an amazing moment for og yeah that's that's very much the the mo pete michael ruffin moment that's sort of a we're an expansion team. This is sort of our history so far. Like your your favorite shot's going to be something kind of flunky like that. Then, <laughs> then if you hang around long enough, you hire Masai Ujiri to run your team. You trade for Kawhi Leonard. Then your favorite shots become Kawhi fading into the corner uh, in a game seven. Yeah. Uh, where were you for that shot? I was uh, – so I, I got to go – I've been living in Washington for – five more than five years now but i got to go to a lot of the games in toronto during the playoff run so i went to two i went to three games game one two and five during that philly series but had to go back to the u.s for game seven so i was in arizona in a hotel room uh where i was for a wedding just looking over the uh the rocks of sedona arizona which is beautiful and that game was so stressful like not only was it a game seven and you felt like the whole Kawhi experiment was hanging in the balance um but just the the game, it was so tight. I don't I don't know if any team ever got more than a six point lead. It was just back and forth, and the Raptors were tight. Kawhi and and Ibaka seemed like the only guys who could, you know, who were confident to take a jump shot. Um, anyway, but I was just yelling like crazy. And then uh, when he hit that shot, yeah, I was I was literally just running back and forth in uh, in in this hotel room. I wish there was a camera on me, like you have those compilation videos of uh, <laughs> fans watching the video. I was like, I was like a lunatic. And uh, my partner and I, we during that game, we were so stressed. We're like, we're not going out for dinner tonight. We're, we're like ordering pizza or something. And then after that, we're like, we're going out. We can't stay in here. It was, that was incredible. The whole run was incredible. Uh, the trade for Kawhi and that team, where were you? It's funny, I think for Raptors fans, because Listen, Canadians are nice people, and they're generally they're very they're they're nice fans. I mean, they're just 
like, especially with the Raptors, it's been, maybe it's different with hockey. There's a different history there. And, but with the Raptors, it's like, they just generally seem appreciative of the good things that kept happening and the organization kept sort of incrementally getting better and winning more. And DeMartha Rosen in the history of Toronto basketball has a very special place. He took them from a lottery team to a playoff team. And listen, he plateaued where for 15 years players have been plateauing. He wasn't good enough to beat LeBron James in the East, right? Yeah. That That's for a Raptors fan. Like how, how do you process what DeMar meant and, and how you felt about that trade? So I, I love DeMar. I think he, he was so lovable. Um, he improved every year, you know, uh, he he never developed the, th- the three point shot we all wanted him to, but he would come back every year with you know better footwork, a better handle. His his shot would be tighter. It was really admirable. The way he talked about his mental health, I think, was awesome. And we we loved his his kind of bromance with Kyle Lowry. Like it was you know it was just it was just fun to watch. You know how much they obviously loved each other and were unabashed about it. Um, when that trade happened, I was so excited. And Raptors fans, I think a lot of them would tell you that, you know, I always, I always wanted Kawhi. But, like, if you if you go back to the Twitter reaction from that day, people are like, why? Like, get rid of the, you know, the most loyal star you've ever had right. for for this guy who does. Like, people didn't even think Kawhi was going to report, right? They didn't know the status of his health. And they're like, he's not even going to show up. It was a big <laughs> deal. I think Masai or Bobby Webster. There was a picture of Masai and Bobby Webster with Kawhi. Kawhi had, like, a tiny bit of a smile. Yeah. And people were like, oh, my God, he's like – He's here and he might be smiling. So that, that would be good. But I, I was just, I was just tweeting like right away and telling people like I don't know if people understand in Toronto yet how good Kawhi Leonard is. I mean, if he, the goal, I mean, the the goal of a franchise is you know you got to give yourself a chance to win championships, and and they they obviously did that from uh, from the start. But I will say, Woj, that like I thought it was cool how much people were upset because. I don't like when, you know, we can treat these players like they're laundry, right? Like just disposable assets, whatever, you know, just, just accumulate assets. The, the attachment to DeMar, I think it was wonderful. I just think it was, it was obviously the right move from the start. Once the Raptors had won the title and obviously free agency loomed, how much hope was there among Raptor fans that Kawhi might stay? I think people thought he might stay. Uh, I think the longer the longer that saga went, where he was, you know, it, it was dragging on, you know, better than yeah. anyone. Uh, we were kind of like, well, if he was going to stay, he he would stay. Um, but I think people thought, like, you know, they won the championship. He seemed to develop a bond with Kyle. You know, he he's you know he seemed really happy at that parade. Like we're we're watching it like we're detectives in some like crime show. Like roll that back again. Like was he smiling? What was his tone of voice there? It, it was absolutely crazy. Like trying to read the Kawhi tea leaves for someone who just like doesn't really show much. Uh, doesn't really you know keeps it very close to the vest. But I don't know. We we thought we had a legit chance. And I'll I'll ask you. Do you think he was giving it legit serious consideration? Do you think that if if they, the Clippers did not put together that that package, was there was there a chance he would have come back? I will tell you something. I'll answer that. I will tell you something funny about that parade. The way Raptors fans were watching that parade and his, what is he doing? How is he reacting? Did he smile? Does he look happy? Yeah. Uh, Clippers were doing the same thing. I mean, the Clippers were doing the same thing watching that. And I think he went to a baseball game down in San Diego. I think he showed up at a baseball game 
uh, maybe a Padres game. Yeah, he did during the uh, once free agency had started. And if there was a camera on him, there were teams there watching. What kind of moods he in? Yeah. It was really amazing yeah. how de- they become as the teams who are recruiting a player uh, are becoming as they're certainly as well. They're more desperate. There's more on the line than for a fan, I guess. But they were doing the same thing. I thought that yes, I thought that there could be a default button where maybe he stayed. Um, the the Clippers in the end had to. In the end, it would have been the Lakers. Um, they had created the cap space to do it. Mm. Um, I think he wanted to go to the Clippers if they could satisfy his his desire for a second star. And they they hit on a couple different guys in the league. You know, Bradley Beal wasn't moving, uh, and then Paul George. Once they landed on Paul George, it was going to take a couple days of <clears throat> Sam Presti was going to squeeze everything out of them. <laughs> And yeah. he did. Uh, lots of picks and Shea Gilgis Alexander, another another young uh, Canadian basketball star in a league full of them. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I did think um, – listen, Masai had confidence throughout yeah. that he could hang in there and that he had built a relationship with Kawhi, which is not easy to do, um, yeah. even in a year. But he did do it. Uh, but ultimately, I think going home and going back to the West Coast in L.A. really appealed to him. I mean, it's remarkable what he could do. I mean, to think to win a finals MVP and a title with the Spurs, to do it with the Raptors, and now potentially to do it with the Clippers and be set up to do it more than once with the Clippers is there's never been anybody like this who's uh, who will have, have the potential. It will put him in, <clears throat> it would put him in, obviously in a very unique place. Uh, in history and um, you know but for Raptor fans I thought it was like when he came back and the Clippers played back in Toronto I mean you knew he was going to get a great ovation you knew there would not be any I mean he's just this guy who showed up in the night and won (laughs) you a championship and and disappeared back into it right no totally and people there were some tweets like after he left you know it must be hard for Toronto to to celebrate this championship now that they've been spurned by this guy it's like no no it's not like that was that was incredible i mean those those memories will last a lifetime so yeah obviously no hard feelings this team this year you thought what like siakam is you know pascal siakam's going to step you know into the four um he's one of the best young players in the league you know he's an all-star i w- i was shocked I was shocked that anybody was surprised that he got a max contract this yeah. offseason. When when Zach Lowe and I reported the deal and that people were like, how can they? It's like, I think sometimes people lose a sense of that rookie extension <clears throat> and that you're, you're you're paying for a lot, but you're paying on where where you see him in a couple of years and, and also the marketplace. Like if he's a restricted free agent next year, he's getting a max offer and then they put a player option in it and they put – Trade, they make it financially just pay them now, right? Like Jamal yeah, Mur- yeah. Jamal Murray and other. Oh, we are talking about Canadian stars. Yeah. Jamal yes. Murray, um, when Tim Connolly and, and Denver gave him a max last year, there were people like, "Geez, that's that's a lot for this guy." Now you're watching him going. Think like if you're if you're Denver, could you imagine if he's a restricted free agent? And part of and I will tell you this: part of Denver's thinking was we're not going to allow Jamal Murray to be out is a restricted free agent and have Masai having cleared cap space. And right. then he signs him to an offer sheet and then 
because it's a chance to go home to Toronto. And then the player says, hey, we, I don't want you to match it. And then you'll match it, and then you have all these hard feelings. And so Pascal Siakam was kind of – but the guy had won you a title, and he had played very, very well without Kawhi last year. His numbers were uh, dramatically better. And now yeah. you're seeing him in this series. He finally felt like in game four Siakam broke out. He, he, he did. I think the thing with Pascal that – I mean, not to compare everything to Kawhi, but I think that the biggest difference – Aside, you know, they're different players, but I think with Kawhi, like he, he would miss, you know, he can miss his first six, seven shots and he seemed entirely unfazed. Like he, you know, it's a cliche, but he really thought that the, the next seven or eight were, were going in where Pascal, you know, he gets in his head and he's talked about this. He gets off to a slow start or they're taking him out of rhythm and he just, he can struggle. So that was great to see. But yeah, this, this year's team, I thought, I, I didn't think they'd be this good, honestly. Like I, you know, I'm always optimistic. But I thought they'd be like a the five seed or you know in like the four, five, six range. They they'd be good defensively, but they struggle to score. Uh, you know, Pascal had never been a number one. Kyle would be a year older. So they, this year has been seriously like the regular season was the most fun regular season for the Raptors I think ever. Just you know, different guys contributing. Like you'd have a Chris Boucher game against the Lakers. You know, Terrence, <laughs> uh, Terrence Davis coming out of nowhere. Pascal having good games. You know, Kyle, Kyle turning back the clock a bit. I don't know. Like, do you do you think did, did the the Raptors expect them to be this good? Like, did the Raptors brass? I don't know. It's yeah. it's, it's been a surprise. I think they thought they would still be yeah very good. Um, I, I think that, you know, what's remarkable about the Raptors is, and, and you start to almost come to expect it now. I mean, Pascal Siakam, you know, out of New Mexico State, late first round pick. Uh, Terrence Davis, undrafted. Um, you know, Fred Van Vliet is obviously one of the great Raptors success stories. Uh, Nick Nurse fits in that group. I mean, Nick Nurse, I knew Nick Nurse when Nick was a G league coach, uh, it was a D league. It was, this is the D league. Yeah. Um, and I knew Nick when he was an assistant or excuse me, he was a head coach in the G league. And then he was the national team coach for great Britain. And I'd see him at the Olympics. And, uh, and so this is a coach who in a lot of ways was perfect for last year's team, this year's team in that, you know, those guys and Dave Yeager, who used to be the coach in Sacramento, Memphis is like this. And uh, I think those two work together um, that they have a great ability to they're not afraid to experiment, to mix, to, to try lots of different things, throw zone at people, experiment with lineups. Because when you were in the minors, that's what you had to do all the time, because yeah. your players were constantly coming and going. You never were quite sure who might be called up or who might leave or who. And and it creates a, I think a, kind of a creativity, but just an ability to adapt uh, very quickly. And and so when Le, when Kawhi was in and out of the lineup, they had very different teams when he was playing and not playing. And you've seen it this year. And then obviously it's been a combination of very good player evaluation, and then they've developed the guys they brought in. And so it's a unique. It's a unique patchwork of players there. Yeah, it really yeah. is. No, it's it's amazing. Like you know, Fred Van Vliet, his development. You know, get, getting him undrafted. Even Matt Thomas. It, it, the thing about being a Raptors fan these days is that you just trust that whoever Masai brings in is, is going to be able to contribute. Like, who's this guy, Matt Thomas? We have absolutely no idea. But uh, you know, he's he's gonna he's gonna help the team. Like I think the only one that hasn't really worked out is Stanley Johnson, who's yep. who's struggled. But uh, 
you know, even Rondé Hollis Jefferson, he's, he's kind of out of the rotation right now, but he, he contributed a lot this year. So they, they just find these guys undrafted, you know, the, the lower budget free agents, they just, they just all hit. It's, it's an amazing personnel run. Dan, uh, Masayu Jerry, so we know what he's done for the Raptor organization as an executive and and put together a, a championship team and now a team that shows itself to be sustainable moving forward. His the, the uniqueness of who he is and his story and his background and and how it fits into the melting pot of Toronto and that city and and, and certainly even uh, that part of the country, where does like how is Messiah at this point held held up uh, in Canada? I I think he's an he's an icon. I mean his uh, his story is is you know as you said perfect. Uh, you know Toronto is is in large part a city of immigrants. Um, you know we have uh, yeah we have a substantial black population, but substantial populations of many groups. Um, and so sort of his sort of cosmopolitanness. Um, I think you know being a, a rare black, um, you know, team president, I think, it, you know, makes him extra impressive. And then, um, you know, he's, he's sometimes somewhat tentatively, but, you know, he's, he's spoken out on, on issues of race and policing with his own ridiculous incident, with, mm-hmm. you know, af- after the championship. Um, yeah, I think he, he's just, he's just beloved. And I think sometimes there, you know, some like on the political left or um, might want him to speak out even more forcefully than he has. Of course, he has a delicate balance, you know, being like a corporate leader and being in the NBA and dealing with brands and companies and stuff. But yeah, he's he's hugely beloved, and I think you know when whenever there's talk of like James Dolan stealing him for the Knicks, <laughs> people people are really scared. Were you <clears throat> were you in Jurassic Park? Let's see, we had an we had a F Brooklyn, yeah, and I think he got a warning, and then he got fined pretty good. I, I I don't know. I don't want to fact check you, Woj. You might be right. I'm not. I, I, I'm not sure. But yeah, he, so I've I've never actually been. Uh, I've never actually been in Jurassic Park. You know, while it's Jurassic Park, it's it's just bedlam there. Uh, you have to line up now. Like it's so popular, you have to line up hours before the game. I, I either want to go to the game or, or be on my couch. Even though I love that Jurassic Park exists, I just, I kind of feel like you know I'm 35. I'm I'm too old for. A Jurassic Park experience at this point, but it's awesome that it's awesome that it exists. I could see a whole like breezy crowd surfing <laughs> in Jurassic Park. They, they, they could pass, pass breezy all around that place. She'd end up right back with you. Man, thank you for loving my Pomeranian. This is <laughs> this, this is awesome. All right, well, let's. I want to talk uh, some about that. And you you were covering Washington for the Toronto Star, and then. You make the move to CNN, but but at a time when this was is kind of this is to me as a as somebody who loves this craft that that we're in. What to me the most remarkable to me anyway the most remarkable part of your of of how popular you've become of how popular your fact checking has become is that it is the most basic thing we do in this job. It is the most basic. Like if the, it's the first thing you learn when you want to go into this profession, it is not a modern <clears throat> discovery. <clears throat> it is not a, you didn't create the fact check. You have perfected it. Um, and it has become, and obviously with certain individuals, it, 
you know, certain subjects create a need for more fact checking than others. And, and so like last week after the convention and you, you were on with Anderson Cooper and you did a real time fact check on the president's convention speech and everybody went bonkers and it went viral. And I think I texted you. It's like, dude, I've seen you do that <laughs> like a hundred times on a hundred, 200 different speeches. Like that wasn't new to me as a, um, a voracious uh, reader and, and viewer of your, of your content. I mean, I, I've seen you do that like without blinking, but for some reason it really, <laughs> it just went viral. Right. And, and, and this whole, your Twitter account and your, everything you do has become, I can't tell you like all the GMs, I can't tell you how many people in the NBA, they follow your account. <laughs> Did you see what Dale had today? It's it's really a it's a remarkable thing to see. That that's hilarious. Uh, sometimes it's kind of surreal, like who uh, to see who follows me. I saw uh, Sue Bird followed me. I'm like Sue Bird is paying attention to what I, <laughs> what I do. Uh, th- thank you. That's really kind of you. I think part of it. It's hard to know why anything goes viral ever. I think part of it was uh, Anderson Cooper's reaction, sipping coffee or whatever he had there. <laughs> that that was great. I think part of it was. Um, you know, just the stage, like, you know, I, I fact check a lot of Trump speeches, but this is the convention speech that, you know, tens of millions or at least around 20 million are, are watching. Um, I think part of it was that, you know, I, I just talk really, (laughs) I talk really fast. I think there was like a, you know, a fun performance aspect to it, but yeah, this is, um, this is something I've been, I've been doing. And, um, as you said, this is basic to our job. Part of my sort of crusade as a fact checker is, um, you know, fact checking shouldn't be left to the designated fact checker. It, it shouldn't be, you know, special or impressive that I am fact checking the president or another politician. This is something that every every reporter should do in every story. And like, you know, we don't we don't have to bring it back to basketball. But some of the some of the, the lies we hear, frankly, uh, especially from the president, are so egregious and often they go uncorrected. Like if someone told you in your job, like, you know, if Kyle Lowry said, like, I led the league in scoring scoring last year, and like. You, you wouldn't just quote that in your story. You know, people would be like, what? You know, you would say like, you know, he said, even though that's not at all true. And so like, I, I think it, what I've been urging, you know, journalists to do is make this a core part of their work, you know, separating fact from fiction. It, it's not biased. It's not, uh, you know, that's not something you need to leave to the columnist or to the fact checker. That's just plain objective reporting to tell readers what's true and what's not. The, the president's, I don't know if preoccupation is a word. He's he's he was largely preoccupied with the NFL for a long time, uh, but I think he saw an opening with the NBA. Uh, he has been critical of uh, the kneeling, and he's take listen. He the NBA is a uh, players coaches has been largely critical of him. And so typically he will eventually answer back uh, at it. But the two things, and you've, you've I think you, for, for any of these speeches, you, you've, you've heard it in real time, uh, the, the kneel, I guess the kneeling, and then uh, kind of going back at some individuals, whether it's been LeBron James, whether it's been Steve Kerr. I've always found it's interesting. He's generally left probably his most intensive critic in the NBA most consistently intensive, Greg Popovich. So it's yeah. been interesting to me. I have a couple theories. 
I don't feel like I can share them, but I imagine you might have a couple <laughs> theories of he has largely left Pop alone in his uh, rebuttals. He, he has. I I, um, I wouldn't want to speculate either, and I, I haven't thought a lot about that. I think um, he uh, you know he he often doesn't take kindly to. I mean, he he knows that certain people I think are are kind of foils for his his hardcore supporters. I think um, the the people who who may be good foils, I, I think, include um, you know prominent black athletes. Yeah, I th- I think um, it's hard to it's hard to know because you know whenever you say, well, you know, he's going hard at these black athletes, his supporters will say, well, he he's he's mean to everyone. You know, he responds to everyone. If you if you attack him, he'll attack them. You know, so you can't be certain, but but you can tell that you know he doesn't he doesn't take kindly to to certain criticism and that shows in his response. How many, how many speeches have you had to balance a double screen Raptors presidential (laughs) speech or, or can you just not, you have to be, you've got to be locked in when you're working or, or can you, can you peek at a Raptors game at at any, at any point while you're, while you're, uh, working, (laughs) you know, covering a speech? It, <laughs> I peak. It it depends what I mean. If it's like some huge, you know, if it's the conventions, uh, I have to be super focused. Um, but I, there was a, a Democratic debate earlier uh, this this year during the primary that I was fact checking. I think it was a, a Raptors Bucks game on, I think on TNT, where I w- I pulled up the stream and I was like going back and forth from. So we we had it on in a big room at conference room at CNN with like a big group of, big group of team fact checkers and it was like the debate i had the, my slack channel open to talk to the team and then another window had i had the game I, there's been a bunch of games during this period uh that i've partly had to miss but but gotten at least peek at there was a famous uh raptors pacers game when, when the sort of demar kyle era uh almost died where they they had this crazy comeback where norman powell punctuated it with this this big breakaway dunk i think i might be wrong i think that was um it was the night of a big primary in 2016. And uh, so I was like following the results and watching the coverage, but also flipping back and forth to that fourth quarter. So, you know, work comes first, but yeah. playoffs, man, you got to watch. Your dog, Breezy, and and correct me again, <laughs> Breezy is a, what kind of a dog? Breezy is a... She, she's a Pomeranian. Pomeranian. And <clears throat> at some point... Of I guess it was I think it was starting off of March 11th, and which is the the NBA shutdown sort of marked the country shutdown in some ways. There became day one, day two, day 15, day 30 of whatever it is we're living with. There became these breezy started to become part of your Twitter, whatever breezy's daily activity was. It might be breezy on a walk, breezy <laughs> laying in the sun, breezy taking a nap. How did how did you decide to make Breezy part of the Dan, the Daniel Dale compilation? This this is an amazing question. Uh, honestly, so we we got this dog in January, and uh, honestly, everywhere we take her, people just light up like she's a five to six pound, depending on how much we feed her. Uh, Pomeranian, she's so small, she's she's so poofy, and uh, literally, like you go anywhere, whether it's like I've had cops, you know, hanging out of a car window being like, Oh my God, your dog's so cute. <laughs> like, you know, people in like, like labor, like, you know, blue collar workers to like people in suits to like literally anyone on the street is like, Oh my God. 
Um, and so I, I just thought that like, people are so upset. People are so sad during this pandemic. You know, Breezy, Breezy can bring people joy. So I just started, uh, I just started tweeting her and people's reaction was hilarious. So now Bre Breezy has super fans. Like people, people get sad if I don't post her for a day or two, if I'm like, you know, off at a, off in the woods or something. Uh, it's, it's, it's been, it's been really hilarious to watch. No, my, my wife's among them. She's got her whole family watching for Breezy or following <laughs> you for Breezy. And I will admit when I think you, I don't know, maybe a month ago, uh, a few weeks ago, you said, hey, I'm going to be off for a few days. But if you want more Breezy content, you gave the um, the uh, Twitter handle of, of uh, your partner. And so I immediately followed her, which was great <laughs> because there was like bonus Breezy coverage there. And I, it, you know, it helped me get through a week, too. That's that's great to hear. I'm so glad she's helping you too, Woj. <laughs> uh, Dan, this was a lot of fun. We, uh, uh, I've I've really really enjoyed uh, getting to know you uh, over time, and uh, my wife's been jealous of our of our texting friendship here over the last several months. <laughs> she's like, I discovered Daniel Dale. I told you about him, and now you've gotten <laughs> to know him. Uh, but. Um, I appreciate it. I know you've got a few days off this week, which is perfect because we have got one more big Raptors game five, uh, game six, certainly at least coming and another great Raptors ride here, which I'm sure falls perfectly uh, for you and your world this week. So it, it falls perfectly. Thank you for having me, Woj. And I, I can't I can't let you go without asking the question that Raptors fans would want me to ask you, which is do the Toronto Raptors have a chance to get Giannis in free agency, putting you on the spot? I think that there'll be a group of teams that if they create cap space and you see what the world looks like in a year from now, I, I do know this about Giannis and, and I have spent time with Giannis since, since he got into the league and he's, he's among the most loyal people that I've come across in this realm. And I mean, personally loyal, a uh, very small circle around him. I mean, an intense, he's an intense, intensely uh, loyal family man. And uh, he's had the same, he has the same Greek agent. He's got the same American agent. That's never, that's never going to change. It's just a very small circle. And he is very loyal in Milwaukee. He's loyal to the organization that brought him in. And so I'm not saying he wouldn't leave but it will not be easy for yeah. him to leave. Now, if you're a Raptors fan or you're a Heat fan or you're a Clipper, Golden State Warrior fan, go through all the big teams who could create space and, and might want to do it. Yeah, you're probably enjoying the fact that they're down 3-0 and this is not going well. And that's certainly a recipe to get a guy to not sign his extension. Uh, but I think the Raptors are putting themselves in a place, Dan, where they're going to be players for the big stars that they can sell. If, if, if it's, if it's about whether you can't win, right? Like if it's about whether, and that's what you care about, then okay. Toronto, you Toronto, but, but if you want everything else, if you want, if you want the organization, you want the guy at the top and Masai, you have a coach of the year and Nick nurse, you have an organization that will spend money like almost anybody in the league. They're like Toronto will spend, they will go into the tax and then you have that young core of Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet and uh, go down the line and you say, OK, if there's a big player out there, we should be in that conversation. And I do think 
the success of the team and the organization and the respect people have for them is going to have them in the conversation for, you know, not every, not every guy, but I think Giannis, the fact that he's an international player that, that who might look at it a little differently than somebody who grew up, you know, let's say like Kauai in Southern yeah. California, it's different. So, uh, I, I think they'll be part of the conversation um, if he does get to free agency next year. So, um, but, but uh, it's a long way between being part of the conversation, obviously, and, and landing uh, a player. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but I know we'll be talking plenty about it probably as soon as the heat. Well, if, unless Milwaukee puts together an incredible comeback here, I know we'll be, we'll be talking, you know, our life will be taken over by Giannis's future, which haven't been in the middle of one of those for a while, but like there's another, <laughs> there's always another one coming down the road in the NBA and he's, I guess he's That's the it. next one. So uh, Dan, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for doing this. And uh, uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj pod. A big thank you to my guest today, CNN reporter, Daniel Dale. You can listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj pod wherever you listen to your podcast. Also be sure to listen to the Low Post with Zach Lowe and the Hoop Collective hosted by Brian Windhorst. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.